0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Friday, August 27th, 2021, and this is episode 31B. Uh, As it is a standard Friday B episode, we're going to kick things off today with the comic book pick, pick list of the week, things that I thought were interesting and relevant for discussion, based on things that I read in comic books for the week. And then we will talk about What If, episode three, titled What If the World Lost Its Mightiest Heroes? There's a lot to go over from that episode. And then we will wrap things up talking about Titans, episode five, excitingly titled Lazarus. Um, there's just a couple of little things in the news aside from this stuff that we'll go over in just a minute here. Um, but as usual, you can find me on Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I do have the comics. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Savage She Geek, Sensational with Too Many Letters. Um, it's just regular Twitter stuff for the most part, but if I do have any podcast updates, about timing and scheduling and things, that is where I will be posting it. I also have a website. It is www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. You gotta have the Weebly extension in there or you won't get anywhere because I do not pay for the website domain yet. Uh, It's it's a goal though, it's a goal of mine. On that website, you can find a number of things, including all of the writing that I would do that pretty much got replaced with the podcast. I used to do written reviews and discussions of all kinds of things from the industry. So those are all still up there on my website if you would like to read any of that, as well as the reading orders and uh, commentaries about their entire um, their entire appearance list, some of my favorite female comic book characters. If you are looking at all to catch up on Madeline Pryor, aka the Goblin Queen, before she no doubt reappears in Inferno this fall, I have all of her appearances uh, written about so you could just go through there and read those if you just want to get a good look at her character. I also have them all completed for Clea, who we are expecting to see in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness next year. Um, Additionally on my website there are my podcast notes. I get a little behind on them and then dump them all kind of once a month um it is the written out notes and things uh, that i take during the week to follow along with on the recording the podcast so that i don't end up needing to edit a whole lot or getting off track too much Um, i have that accessible there in case you are someone who prefers to read the news as opposed to listen to me talk about it or for those who are hearing impaired Um, so that they can keep up with the podcast without having to listen. Um, I also have links on my website for everywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which I'm pretty sure is pretty much everywhere you can listen to podcasts, except for, I think, Pandora still. Not sure what that's about. Um, But yes, also includes my YouTube channel, which does have all the podcast episodes in one playlist in order so you can catch up on all of them there if you like also on my youtube channel i post action figure review videos Um, the most recent one that i did was for the sh figuarts beerus re-release this was the high-end beerus and since i already had the kind of cheaper uh, let's just say drugstore version of him i went ahead and compared the two of them in the video so if you are at all interested in beerus or dragon ball go ahead and check that out on my YouTube channel. It is just Sensational She Geek. If you are interested in supporting the podcast through donations or other financial means, I do have a new podcast, Patreon. You can go onto Patreon and look up Sensational She Geek. For the most part, Patreon is a monthly subscription to creators who then offer up rewards for, thank you for subscribing to them on a regular basis. Um, if if I do end up getting a good number of subscribers on there, I will end up sending out rewards like stickers and uh, kind of branding stuff um, for supporters on that. I also have a Kofi. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. It's K-O-F-I. It is this little fun little system where you can um, donate single time donations to whatever creators that you are following on their system. Um, And that can be whatever amount that you want from I think it's like $3 up single time donations. The whole idea is of it is give them enough money to buy them a coffee. Um, And so I do have that set up all of the money that will be taken from any of these things will go towards um, making the podcast something that is better and um more fun and engaging to listen to and to continue listening to. Um, and that also includes, as far as funding for the podcast goes, my Redbubble store, which is new and exists. Um, on Kofi you can find me under it's just She Geek and Redbubble, it is She Geek Shop. Um, there are some branding things as I mentioned before on Redbubble if anyone is interested in that kind of stuff, that is another way to put in financial support or donations for the podcast. Otherwise, of course, as usual, the best way to support the podcast would be to just share it with other people who you think will also listen and enjoy it and share. Um, Whatever media format, whatever it is that you're listening on, uh, you can subscribe, comment, like, share, do whatever the things that you can do on that. Um, service so that the podcast can get more viewers and continue being successful. As for the news today, there was only a few little things that came up this week that I wanted to discuss. The first, very briefly, uh, the Star Wars Andor movie, I believe, Andor movie show, uh, it wrapped filming today, or rather recently. Um, That is going to be kind of the Rogue One prequel (laughs) a little bit. Um, But that's very exciting, Rogue One being one of the... um, fan favorite I as far as I've seen um, recent Star Wars movies, so uh, very exciting that they are making progress on that show movie. Also, Oblivion Song is a comic that que- came out from Robert Kirkman in, I want to say, 2017 or 2018. I read the first five or so issues of it, I collected them, and um they ended up getting purged from our collection a few years ago when we moved from south carolina to california at a very last minute way um well oblivion song it turns out has been um it's gonna be made into a movie created by and starring jake gyllenhaal (laughs) so um I'm kind of mad at myself for getting rid of that number one issue. And that is, that is my recommendation for the day. If you are trying to get rid of some comics in your collection, uh, keep a new number ones, especially indie number ones. Like if you're going to keep any number ones, just keep your indie number ones, um, because those are going to be the ones that surprise you w- or, or not. And I mean, Robert Kirkman, we noted The Walking Dead. So it, it was bound to happen, I guess. I just was not in a position to keep a lot of extra stuff moving across the country. Um, so that's, that's a fun thing to look forward to, I suppose. Oblivion Song, as I said, I read the first few issues of it. If you're not familiar, it's basically The Walking Dead. (laughs) Robert Kirkman has this formula that I've discovered that he works by a lot of the time. Um, Oblivion Song being the same as The Walking Dead in the ways of post-apocalyptic society. Um dude discovers in the like apocalypse part of things he discovers his old friend who it turns out is the ex-husband of, or the husband of the woman that he's now sleeping with i mean that's like verbatim exactly what was going on in the walking dead <laughs> um Yeah, it was just a little bit too similar for me, so that's why I stopped reading that. But anyway, uh, if you're a fan of Robert Kirkman projects, of Jake Gyllenhaal projects, or of Oblivion Song, uh, exciting news for you there. Finally, for the news, um, this is just rumors. It's only ever rumors when the X-Men stuff and Marvel MCU stuff starts getting discussed. Um, But there are rumors now that due to the various characters who we already have in the mcu and who we are getting further rumors that will be appearing in the mcu there are rumors now very strongly going around that the illuminati will be appearing in uh doctor strange 2 multiverse of madness or either it's doctor strange in the multiverse of madness um and that also uh, tagged along to the end of that rumor is the rumor that Um, They will be joined at that time by the addition of Professor Xavier, Charles Xavier of the X-Men. That would, my opinion on all that would be, this is, it's up in the air, honestly. We're a bit too far out from Doctor Strange 2 to, I think, say anything firmly about that. I know it's it's less than a year away. Um, It's, I think, May 2022. Um, So it's not too, too far away. That being said, we just got the first trailer for No Way Home, and you see how much more um, Stephen Strange was in that than we kind of thought, or at least that I kind of thought, Um, at least according to that trailer, we still have that whole movie to come out and to absorb before they even give us a Multiverse of Madness trailer. I I doubt we'll see the Multiverse of Madness trailer until, I don't know, February 2022. It sounds like a decent, um, Super Bowl thing. If they're doing Super Bowl next year, (laughs) I assume they must be. Um, but so Illuminati appearing in Multiverse of Madness isn't too too far of a stretch um whether or not charles xavier will be among them we have a lot of ground to cover between now and then before i'm comfortable saying yes or no to that because while i do see extreme possibility for xavier well rather for the x-men uh specifically the fox men to make some very brief cameos in multiverse of madness especially um after what we've seen and are believing it might be true from the no way home movie. Um, it's not too far of a stretch that they may put some Foxmen in there for a minute or two. Uh, that being said, if that does happen, um, would we see that professor X or would we see uh, just an MCU version of professor X? I don't really see them carrying characters over from one side from be it Sony or Fox, over to the disney marvel stuff um permanently i don't really see that happening um i see the potential i see a lot of potential for them to put in different versions of the characters from those different owners Um, like even the netflix stuff like i i'm really hoping we see charlie cox in there but that doesn't mean that i'm necessarily thinking that we're going to see him stay as daredevil for the mcu um, once this is all said and done, you know, things may go back to whatever quote-unquote normal was. So, uh, on this Illuminati rumor, very, 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 very possible that we're going to see some form of the Illuminati in the MCU, especially in Doctor Strange multiverse of, in the multiverse of madness. Um, but I'm not, I, I, as of right now, I'm going to say I don't think it's going to have Professor X in it if it shows up in that movie. Um, we'll see how things develop with no way home and how hard they go with no way home because remember no way home is low key the setup um for multiverse of madness if you're going wandavision no way home multiverse of madness you have to kind of crescendo the what you're doing so um assuming uh, we'll have to wait and see how big no way home is before i make a decision on how big and what to expect from um from the Multiverse of Madness, but that is a cool idea. My personal um, favorite thought about that would be if we were to get the Illuminati, why can't we do a female Illuminati? You've done your all-male teams for ages now. Uh, it's pretty much all there was for most of comics history. Um, why can't we get female version of the Illuminati? That way, I don't think there's anybody we don't have the inhuman, so that's what's slight complication. Uh, we don't have Namor necessarily. There's rumors that he's been cast, but nothing solid. Um, so that means that we wouldn't really know if we have uh, <laughs> Nemora for some reason, the only, or Nemorita, whatever it is, the, the only name they could think of for his female counterpart was just add a, add a female ending to the name and that's good. It's so stupid, but, um, so we don't really know if we're gonna have her. Uh, we do have, we're, we're going to have Riri Williams as an iron character. We also have technically Rescue as an iron character. Um, let's see who else would, Captain America, who would replace him? Um, maybe uh, Sharon, Sharon Carter could replace Captain America. She's, you know, not necessarily a hero, but not necessarily a villain at this point either. Um, although she does do morally not great things. Um, I I feel like she's still got a lot of wiggle room there. Who else? And we get Charles and Charles could get replaced by Moira. We don't have a Moira, but we don't have any of these guys really in the MCU. Um or really any female X-Men character. So uh, I feel like we could easily pull off, I know I'm forgetting it's Dr. Strange, bring me Clea. Like it's, 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 it would be so fun to do a female Illuminati. But um, now that I've gone on for an extra long time about these very brief little rumors, um, we will get going with the regular episode. If you'd like to skip over the comics picklist and get straight into What If and Titans, skip to about 45 minutes and 35 seconds and I'll be wrapping up Harley Quinn and moving on. The comic book picklist, to be completely honest, was not as climactic as I was kind of hoping this week. Um, there was a couple of things that I was really into, and a couple of things that I was a little bit disappointed by, but what we're gonna be going over here is a little bit shorter than usual for my pick list, and that includes Marvel's Voices Identity number one, Sonya Versal number seven, Extreme Carnage Riot, Batman Reptilian number three, Black Widow number ten, barbaric number three, and Harley Quinn number six. These are in no particular order. They are not in order of favoritism or anything like that. It's just what I happen to write them down as. Starting off with Marvel's Voices Identity Number one, uh, we get a number of really cool stories in this. We get Gene Luen Yang starting things off with Shang-Chi, where he faces off against a version of himself that he would have become if he had stayed with his father and gone down that path instead of creating his own path. Um, so that's a really cool way of Recognizing the various trials that Shang-Chi has gone on and how far he has come as a character um, and as a person in his own life. There's also a really cool thing, and I'm not sure if it has been brought into the comics a lot yet or at all, um, but we were introduced to the Order of Uatu. Now, Uatu, we know as being the watcher of the Marvel 616 universe, more or less, it's what it is. Um, his, his people are just they just watch and record everything and um, if you're watching What If Uatu is the narrator he is the watcher who is narrating the whole series so the order of Uwatu is something that's really interesting because Uwatu is actually deceased in the Marvel Universe um, he was killed by Nick Fury Sr. during the original, to kick off really the original SIN event some years ago I believe it was 2003 2000- 13, I want to say, maybe 2015, something around that time. Um, but that was a really fun event. You had some really uh, shocking and surprising things that happened, uh, including the death of Uwatsu. Um, so, having this sect of monks, it would seem, who can call themselves the Order of Uwatsu. On the one hand, it seems like they're just kind of honoring him by continuing his work. On the other hand, the guy's eyes glowed at the end. So I'm kind of wondering if they are somehow, if there's some more to the story than I know, or if this was uh, Jean Wen Yang kind of kicking off a new story that he's going to take Shang-Chi down. We have a Jubilee story by Christina Strain, where Jubilee goes to the graves of her parents, Um, This one uh, really tugs on the heartstrings. I was not expecting it, um, especially not being a a person who is familiar with the character of Jubilee's parents or really too much with Jubilee aside from modern history. Uh, I was surprised how emotional this got for me. Um, She obviously had the grave of her parents mourning the loss of her connection to her culture as well as her parents when she growing up in the U.S., she was connected to her culture as a chinese woman by living that basically through her parents who shared it with her who explained things to her who um kept that tradition alive in her life and with them gone she feels that disconnect um and so it's that was it was a very emotional moment and when we get um we get the little story ending with Jono, who is uh he's he's the new mutant who wears the mask over the bottom half of his face I don't remember what his real name is, Um, but he brings Shogo, who is Jubilee's adopted son, um, who's been a baby for forever. (laughs) He brings Shogo and dim sum takeout for them to eat as a little picnic at the cemetery. And it's very sweet. Um, It's it's obviously making the big the big point being, you know, even though she has lost that connection, that direct connection to her authentic, um, you know, blood past her relatives and her family and her culture that way she is still finding ways to um help her son absorb their culture and help um herself feel like she is still trying um to connect with that part of her life in her own way so that was a really really cute story greg pack wrote a jimmy woo story where we have good old jimmy woo saving the day um by giving a (laughs) he he gives a rampaging monster back the power Pack, the power cell that he was looking for this monster is like everybody's like oh we got to kill the monster and he's like no we'll just give him this and he's happy and he turns into like a happy little puppy dog monster and then scoots off into space with his jet pack <laughs> very i don't know if it's a character who is well known or not but it was really funny um Jimmy Woo doing the classic kind of uh, Asian-American detective thing reminds me a lot of um, The Good Asian, which is a short series, a limited series that is going right now from Image, I believe, uh, which I highly recommend. The character in that is very reminiscent of Jimmy Woo. There's another story of Red Dagger, who I I understand to be a Pakistani superhero uh, being visited by Ms. Marvel, who is Pakistani-American herself um and that's a cute little story um there is a silhouette story it is she's a character who i actually kind of look i had to look up because i wasn't really sure Um, who she was. She is a Cambodian superhero who uses shadows as portals and walks with crutches due to her partial paralyzation. I thought that she was a modern hero. No, she... Well, modern depends on your definition of modern. Um, Her first appearance was in 1990's New Warriors number two, so she's been around for for longer than I've been around. Um, So that was kind of a cool story to be introduced to her personally by. Um, Then there is a Amadeus Cho and Cindy Moon story by Maureen Gu. Amadeus Cho being the Totally Awesome Hulk slash Braun, whatever it is that you recognize his name from. And Cindy Moon being Silk, one of these spider characters. Um, Really cool story discussing uh, the idea of Han, Um, Cindy says it best, it is the collective grief and resentment that we all carry due to general oppression. This just means, it's something that is, it's a term from Korean society. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of anger um, (laughs) and, yeah, resentment over the, well, racism, racism. This country was built on the backs of people of color, including Korean immigrants, and, um, there is that whole idea of they have to be the model minority, and, uh, they don't really get anything in return for that, period, (laughs) um, or for any th- any of the work that they have, blood, sweat, and tears, literally, that they had put into building uh, the U.S. as a place that can function. So um, the idea of Han being a Korean uh, sentiment kind of fits really well, but it also fits uh, the general populace fairly well at the same time because it kind of also stands for a oppression that is more of a systematic, eh, more of a... Um, Governmental oppression. We are all here in the US. If you are making under, you know, a couple million dollars a year, um, we are all oppressed. Okay. <laughs> um, there's, uh, we, we do not have power as an individual. Um, and really, you know, what is the thing that they're saying where there's a greater wealth gap now than there was during the Great Depression? Like, we're okay, just, we are all somewhat oppressed. Um, by our government, of course, as a white person, not nearly as press, oppressed as uh, any people of color, but that this, the general sentiment um, was kind of covering all of that sense of oppression. So that was a kind of an interesting conversation that they had um, about the kind of underbelly of anger um, of their people and so there's a fun line by Braun at the end going we're korean we're born angry um that's the, with the whole story that they're telling here it really worked i really enjoyed that story and showing kind of a different side of asian americans and asian immigrants we also get a really cute story of armor and silver samurai which was written drawn and colored by ken namura where the two of them are arguing over what appropriate sushi is armor made uh pink rice sushi which was made pink with ketchup and mayonnaise and i honestly cannot cannot picture what that would taste like um and silver samurai got a fish from kokoa that was a blue fish from space um and they kind of argue about which one is more appropriate and so then he tries uh, armor's pink sushi and it's that it's that moment from ratatouille you know when the chef tries the ratatouille uh where he flashes back silver samurai flashes back to being a kid when his mom would make sushi for him and it was really cute because it was obviously having the moment of um remembering this for the first time in a long time but also the kid version of him was wearing a silver samurai costume and kind of talking in the same um very formal way that Adult Silver Samurai does. I thought it was really cute. Nice little story. And the last one here uh, was an Alyssa Wong story writing about Wave. Wave is the Filipino superhero who controls water. She is from the city of Cebu in the Philippines. Um, And this was a really, really cute story. It had art by Wilche Portacio. I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce names. It just happens I try. we, ha- we have here wave running errands for her grandfather in Cebu she ends up running into Bishop as the two of them fight a like a, um, a sea monster mutant kind of. <laughs> um and she has this really cool moment where she's like oh i'm such a big fan of you and he's like oh i'm such a big fan of you in my timeline you were a legend and she like it's all fangirly. i thought that was awesome especially since bishop is kind of a a crowd favorite character who doesn't really get showcased as often as he could um gosh especially and wave to both of them honestly so uh it was pretty cool that they got to um they got to meet up and kind of be fans of each other and work together. Um, and I will always, always, you know, support anything that Wave is in because she is Filipino, as is my husband. So um, I will never forget him reading that first appearance of her and coming across that. I didn't tell him. I, I just let him come across that in his own because I had read it first. Um, and that was that was quite a moment to witness. I can't even imagine what that would feel like to come across the first representation of your people that you've ever... Uh, come across in your hobby. That's pretty cool. So, Universal Number Seven. Um, we've only got three more issues of this, so that you can see that they're not trying to set up any really large story plots here. Uh, but we do get Hell Sonia giving re- Yellow Sonia a tip that her parents remember her killing them. Context being, Yellow Sonia had killed her own parents because they got turned into vampires. But after the first arc of the story, where they all went to hell and then got brought back, all of the Sonya villains returned to life as well as the regular Sonyas. Um, no matter if she had killed them, you know, once, twice, whatever, they were all back. And that includes her parents. Uh, Sonia had kind of assumed that her parents had forgotten that they had been turned into vampires and killed or whatever, and that she had killed them. Um, but but Sonia is here to tell her she is wrong and they are biding her their time. Um, and it kind of ends up that yes, yes, they are, um, horrible and she ends up having to kill them again. So, um, good stuff there in So Universal. It is, it's, it's not as fun as the first arc, but it's still, um, I'm still having a good time with it extreme carnage riot is the i want to say fifth uh, of eight i think it's what it is um issues that are going to be in this extreme carnage mini event um the art on this did kind of surprise me specifically when it came to andy benton totally different visual take on andy it kind of threw me off to be honest Um, but what I'm guessing it was is that they wanted to show that Andy is doing very well with this new symbiote, Silence, who was formerly Scream. Um, I also want to say this artist's version of Drawing Silence is pretty awesome. It looks like, um, you know, Lobo's kind of got that weird, like, spiky black mohawk thing. She kind of had the same thing. It was pretty nice. Um, they also showed that, um that Andy was connected to the Symbiote Hive previously enough to have split off parts of it, but now she doesn't really have that same connection. My theory there is that Carnage has figured out what Andy and Silence or Scream, whichever way you want to go with it, could do together and kind of moved the Hive, so to say, out of her mental reach. Um and so that's why when she goes in this issue reaching out for carnage in her mind, in that for the hive, it's Toxin who responds. So the next issue is going to be focusing on Toxin. Um it was also really cool to see and I know there's been a fair amount of people who have mentioned this online. It's really cool to see that Andy is continuing to be a important character for the symbiotes. And here in this issue, we got to see that she actually has a little bit of a deeper connection with the whole symbiote hive, a lot like with Venom and his hosts, with names. Um, I thought that was really cool. Hopefully she will be sticking around for a good while as well. Batman Reptilian had issue three this week Um, continues to be completely stunning uh, with Liam Sharp on the art and Garth Ennis writing things Um, in this issue. We kick things off where things were pretty much ended in the last one where Gotham's many of Gotham's rogues have already been taken out. There's a really cool, cool quote here that kind of helps describe what it is that's happening to the villains when they're killed or really anybody in this when they're killed it says they're what this thing wants or thinks it wants until it gets a taste because this thing is not just going up there and like slaughtering them and eating their hearts or whatever it's 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 nibbling them it's trying to like test them out and see if they're what it's looking for and it's not so it keeps going it it just kind of maims them and goes on um also really funny in this issue, Alfred just kind of letting loose and just being a snarky asshole to Bruce. I love it. Um, he needs that in his life. He, he needs less yes men in his life. So Alfred, keep it up. Um, and as for the estrogen that I was mentioning previously that they had found in the crime scenes, they talk about that again in this issue and reveal it to be from a pregnant crocodile. Um... That obviously brings in quite a few questions about whether Killer Croc is involved with this. Um, and more importantly, whether Killer Croc is human or reptile, and where exactly he came from. There's a lot of discussion of, is the, was he a human who became infected or whatever and became more reptilian? Or is it possible that he's a reptile who has become more humanoid? If that's the case, well then it's easy to imagine there being other reptiles like him out there, but he's really the watered-down version and they're the real thing. Very scary thought, um, especially since at the end of this issue. Uh, spoiler alert, but we seem to be going into some gnarly shit with Waylon Jones, who is of course Killer Croc um they have those art previews at the back for the next issue and it looks like there is some brutality happening to him um so we will have to see what that is once uh i guess the next issue comes out but this issue did bring in a lot of questions about killer croc meanwhile the joker is having some severe issues (laughs) um he is freaking out he is setting up distractions and fake sightings of himself all over gotham trying to stay safe Um, he at this point thinks that Batman was the one to create this monster that is killing all the villains, and he's just sicking it on them one by one. He gets on the phone with Batman, or I guess on a, on a Gotham PD... Intercom or microphone or walkie-talkie, whatever you want to call it, um, and he tells him that it, it was this really funny scene actually. <laughs> Once you figure out what's going on, um, Batman is at one location and Joker is in another, and the Joker is saying, "I can hear you. I can hear you sneaking around in here. All you're breathing and you're you're panting and it's and and you're trying to be quiet." And and Batman's like, "What are you talking about?" And it takes a second, and then Batman goes, "You know, he tells him, you know, whatever is in there with you, it's not me." And that's the moment when the Joker, like, turns around and sees a monster there and presumably gets killed. So um, he actually does live. Uh, We do get that reveal a few pages later. Um, He does live, but his face is basically skinned. Um, Really, really brutal way for him to kind of go out for the time being. Um, And then I didn't write it down, but there was something really funny that Batman said to him. As they're like carting him away with his face all wrapped up i, I do not remember what it was but it was a really funny and snarky and i love that version of batman how garth ennis is writing him as being kind of like we all kind of know batman's an asshole but like this batman is not trying to hide the fact that he thinks asshole thoughts it's very appropriate um and i would love to continue reading this batman like this is awesome what is what is it always about uh <laughs> elseworlds dc stuff that are my f- i'm considering this elseworlds because it's not main canon um elseworlds dc stuff that always strikes me as way better than canon <laughs> oh well I, I i it's it's dc and it's good i'll just take it for what i can <laughs> black widow had its 10th issue this week um the main thing that i want to talk about regarding this issue is gosh darn Elena Casagrande and her gosh darn art um, because it continues to be unquestionably the best part of this series. Kelly Thompson is doing a fantastic job writing and setting things up that way but it would not be as good without Elena Casagrande being how impressive that she is with the art. Um, And we do get a little bit of that with guest artists that have been kind of trickling through. Um, Great artists, really good at mimicking her style, not anywhere near her level of action sequences. Um, It is just so impressive. She manages to fit expression and emotion in on the faces um all while she's still building perfect beautifully formed bodies like i feel like honestly after reading this week i honestly feel like she challenges herself to go even harder on each issue because this one literally it has a full double page spread of black widow you know naps fighting moves going across the room like fighting his people, I can't even describe it. It's like it's like film strips across the page, but then they're broken up by like four or five fully covered colored panels of moments of her taking hits or making hits during the fight. Just completely mind blowing. I don't know how it. <sighs> the practice and the skill and experience to be able to sit down and plan out basically storyboard a fight move for move and have it look like a flip book that you're just not flipping through you're just eyeing through it like it's incredible (laughs) um i know there were some things this week that had fight sequences in them that were very much not like that Um, it was Laura Braga's, actually, Harley Quinn fight sequences, I noticed, um, were a little bit choppy, were quite choppy, actually. I have never felt that way about Elena Casagrande's art in Black Widow. It's a Black Widow comic. She's a secret super spy. Super secret spy? Whichever way makes more sense. And she is so visible. Uh, You don't, you don't lose track of her on the page. You don't, oh, there was something else that I was reading this week, too, that, um i want to say it was extreme carnage riot um where to kind of be fond of another artist for a moment phil uh, not philip kennedy johnson he's a writer um who was the one who did uh batary bill danny warren johnson that's too many johnsons um danny warren johnson has this amazing way of drawing messes on the page like it's a mess the scene is a mess you know there's fighting there's things spilling there's explosions there's bullets whizzing across the page but incredibly visible um where it was i believe it was the um the issue of sonia uh, it was Sonya universal or extreme carnage riot where the art was it was one of those same things it was an absolute mess of a scene but very hard to decipher what was going on in the art um, Daniel Warren Johnson did that stupendously in Beta Ray Bill, and Elena Casagrande does that stupendously issue after issue in Black Widow. I truly believe that this issue that the series would not be nearly as successful or as enjoyable with any other artist as the main artist. <sighs> anyway, uh, the plot of this <laughs> is that Natalie or N- Natalie Natasha oh gone doing it again. Um, Yelena and Anya Corazon, who is, of course, Aranya, one of the spider girls, uh, they are joined by Kate Bishop, uh, which was pretty awesome. This is turning out to be a really fun miscellaneous team-up that I am really digging. I don't know if it's going to continue to be a team-up as it goes forward. I don't know, but I would love that. Um, What basically ends up happening is... Uh, Black Widow powers up her suit. She's got that really cool new power suit that I'm not even sure what it is, but it looks awesome. And she uses that to fight off Apogee and is then saved the last second by the new girl who is Lucy. Um, and they dose the rest of the followers of Apogee with the, uh, the, the anti-mind control or whatever it was they had to get them on. Um, this whole arc honestly has been a bit of a snooze for me um haven't been so interested in it that much but this issue did wrap it up really well for the time being we know that apogee is not gone for good they made that very clear but it'll probably be a couple issues before we actually see him again last two issues we're on now barbaric and harley quinn barbaric i'm still loving um in this issue Soren is being possessed and she takes over uh the well, one of her little demons, like takes over the barbarian Owen. Um, he gets a vision of himself in like this heavenly dream world where a beautiful naked maiden, um, like angel type figure is telling him that it's his time to rest and (laughs) Owen literally looks at her and spits in her face and laughs because he knows that he's not going to heaven when he dies and this is a trick and that was a really cool moment because we're watching that we're reading that going there's no way he's just there's no way he's just gonna die here what what happened Uh, nope he knows it's a trick (laughs) it was a cool moment of them showing that he is not just some stupid brute um, and instead of killing Sorin as she was possessed, he takes apart this, I'm going to call it a tower of power that is controlling her uh, while still trying to slaughter the demons to keep them off of him. Uh, and the things eventually go both their way. She gets unpossessed and he gets his axe drunk off of blood. So win, win, win. Uh, once it's all said and done, Sorin has to take a moment to tell Owen that she is shocked that he didn't just give up and kill her, but found another weight and believed in her. Um, that was something that we have already learned her character has been thrown to the side, cast aside time after time again by people who she was meant to be able to trust. So having him actually follow through and continue believing in her and save the day, um, even though he was at risk as well was a um, a new thing for her. And and it builds a bond between them for sure. She also tells him, uh, um, Soren. she tells Owen that she was able to get kind of a feel for him during the fight because she's a witch and she can kind of sense things. And she says that she could tell that he wants to live, but it's not just that he wants to live. It's that he has something specifically to live for. And he cuts her off at that moment. And he's like, okay, you've had enough. We're not talking about this anymore fair enough but i'm looking forward to seeing what she is actually talking about this is the third of three issues of the first arc i guess um it does say book two will be coming in 2022 so unfortunately at least four or five months away from now um but i will be definitely picking that up whenever it does return because um as i said they set up really good relationships in this um and really Ba- not basic but done a very uh basic job of or did a, did a very good job of very simply laying out the characters so uh lots to look forward to and whenever the next arc comes out finally harley quinn number six featured laura braga on art um, Laura Braga has been doing a lot of the Poison Ivy stuff that she, whenever Ivy's kind of been appearing in things, she's been doing a lot of that art, so kind of feels appropriate to have her here as we kind of do a prelude to Ivy and Harley reuniting. Um, in this issue, we get Harley Quinn in Alleytown, which is where Catwoman kind of is now, um, and Selena spends most of the issue, of course, acting like she does not like Harley and hates having her around. But then when it comes down to it um, and Harley gets kind of poisoned, Selena does stop and make sure that she's okay and takes care of Harley as she needs it. Um, at this point, we're also not beating around the bush with the fact that Harley and Ivy dated. There were several very straightforward mentions of it in this issue alone. Um, and I know I said earlier, Laura Braga's action sequences aren't quite as um, followable as... Um, Elena Casagrande and Black Widow. Um, I'm used to Riley Rossmo in this Harley Cohn book. Um, and he's, you know, his art style has a lot of people who don't like it because it's cartoony. However, seeing the comparison now um, of Laura Braga's art compared to the Rossmo stuff, Braga's felt honestly pretty static. Um, Rossmo's paneling and staging of scenes is usually much more dynamic and active and i honestly kind of miss that in this issue um the way that stephanie phillips writes yeah phillips uh stephanie phillips writes harley quinn is a very active bouncy um over caffeinated harley quinn um and Rossmo really really hits the nail right on the head with depicting her to fit that voice and while i adore laura braga's art um it was not quite the match that i expected i obviously really enjoyed this i'm gonna be i'm still gonna be a big fan of laura braga but it's very interesting that this wasn't the match that i kind of thought it would be and that now i have kind of a greater appreciation for the riley rosmo issues of harley quinn What If this week had its third episode that premiered on Wednesday, the 25th, on Disney+. Plus? This week's episode was titled, What If the World Lost Its Mightiest Heroes? This definitely took a different route than the first two episodes of the series, which were more like rewritten origin stories, shuffling characters and locations. Whereas this was a bit more what you might call a dark multiverse story, a darkest timeline story, Pick your poison, because it's dark. Uh, the episode, it showed basically what it was, was a the week of Nick Fury trying to get the Avengers together. Um, it had kind of been speculated for a while that, um, that the events of various uh, movies where he's getting the Avengers together... Um, all kind of take place in the same time period, in the same week. And this, if that was not confirmed already, this completely confirms that. First, we have Iron Man, (laughs) who he dies in the coffee shop from Iron Man 2 with a big donut outside. Next is Thor. He's killed to make it look like Hawkeye shot him with an arrow to the chest, which puts Hawkeye in prison. And then while Hawkeye is in detention, they find him to be dead. Um, And then we get... Uh, Black Widow is trying to get to Bruce to warn him. So she goes to Betsy and Betsy is not in contact with him. And then it ends up being too late and Bruce ends up basically exploding into a bunch of gamma dust. So that was pretty dark. And then Nat is also taken out. Um, although I cannot recall why, and I didn't finish my notes here as to why, but she too is taken out. Um, so what ends up happening here is, uh, in this world... Hope Van Dyne ended up being an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. after her mother died, right? Um, And based on context, it seems that she was most likely killed by the Winter Soldier, and that is what caused her father, Hank Pym, to go completely off the deep end, taking up his classic comic villain look of Yellow Jacket, and going and killing all the Avengers. So that is why... Um they were having such a hard time figuring out why they were just dying, basically just dropping dead. It's because it was a tiny little thing that you couldn't even really see that was doing it. Um majorly uh it does bring up the point. I, I do think it would be a major problem that if Ant Man ever decided to be a villain, and obviously with Yellow Jacket as a character, we've seen that. Um but if 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 ant-man really you know did the whole deadpool kills the marvel universe thing and just woke up one day and decided to do that i think he could i mean he knows the jokes about Endgame and thanos and ant-man we've all heard those jokes um but it those valid questions ah uh, yeah you could do that and that would kill thanos there's no way it wouldn't so is ant-man technically the strongest hero in the Marvel universe. I wouldn't say strongest, I would say sneakiest. No. I don't know. You get what I'm saying though. It is a it is a a good question. <laughs> uh, as for Hank, if you are not really familiar with him in the comics, it's very um Interesting and complicated history. Uh, He has not been Ant-Man in the comics for decades because back in the day, for some reason, they wrote him as smacking around his wife, Janet Van Dyne. (laughs) For some reason, it's just stuff they kind of put in comics sometimes. They don't really know why they do it. Uh, After they kind of tried to sweep that under the carpet, which nobody really stood for that, um, they did have a trial in Marvel Comics for hank pym (laughs) uh really dramatic and they kicked him out of the avengers for his behavior so oddly enough this doesn't really seem to make him a martyr or anything he actually moves on to start dating tigra who is of course grueer grant uh after that in the west coast avengers so um go figure i guess and then several more decades later of Marvel really not having a plan of how to handle this character who ends up kind of the way that Hank did. In more recent years, they ended up kind of combining him with Ultron, creating what is commonly referred to as Pymtron. And I think he's like on the moon or something now. I'm honestly not sure. He, he's out there somewhere in space, probably. Um, that really that really is um, the best explanation also as to why they didn't make him Ant-Man in the movies. They did a good enough job of making Hank in the MCU the decent man that he was always meant to be, but sidelighting him just enough that we can kind of imagine him having been kicked out of Stark Industries and everybody else's labs for being kind of a tool. So they they kept the better parts of his, bad parts of his character, I guess. Um, As for Hank in this episode of What If? He is ultimately defeated by Loki, who was actually able to use Thor's murder on Earth as an excuse to unite all of Asgard behind him. Uh, And and then invade Midgard, which is, of course, Earth. So um, things kind of work out for him in that sense. But things on Earth are going to be pretty awful because of that, I'm sure. Um, It also makes it so that Loki is not failing Thanos in this world necessarily. Um, And that means its fate with Thanos would probably be a little bit different and potentially Loki would have to then end up defending earth from Thanos. I don't know. They're probably not going to go into it too much further than um what we've seen here. But the episode does end with um Nick Fury calling on Captain Marvel to help with the uh Asgardian invasion situation uh, as well as deciding to unice Captain America who presumably is the Steve Rogers version because Peggy didn't get iced. She was spaced, I guess. Um, And after this episode, I'm definitely getting the feeling that we will be seeing. We know there's going to be a second season of this, so after this, I I definitely think we're going to be seeing some continuation episodes, just of like um, little things. I don't think we're going to see what happens with this universe and Thanos, but like getting the Asgardians kicked out of Earth or defending Earth or something like that. We'll just see a quick little wrap up of it in an additional episode in the future, potentially. Uh, as for the voice cast of this episode, we have the returning as their characters in the MCU, Sam Jackson as Nick Fury. Michael Douglas as Hank Pym, Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson, Frank Griot as Brock Rumlow, who is um, Crossbones, Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton's Hawkeye, Mark Ruffalo as Bruce is the Hulk, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, and amazingly, Jamie Alexander as Lady Sif. I'm very happy that they've been bringing her back into the fold with Marvel because she had so much potential with her character and all that, and they just kind of... Didn't think about it, so hopefully that with uh, Taika watiti at the helm of Thor and her having been brought back in for Loki and whatnot, we will hopefully be seeing more of Jamie Alexander's Lady Sif, the new voices, or rather the people who replaced the MCU voices: Lake Bell voiced Black Widow, Mike Wingert voiced Tony voiced voiced Tony Stark, Stephanie Panisseo Panisseo voiced Betty Ross, Mike McGill voiced General Ross, which is kind of surprising because he's still part of the MCU, and Alexandra Daniels voiced Captain Marvel slash Carol Danvers for the brief little bit that we do see her at the end. I guess there's a few characters there who are still involved. Uh, I guess it's Carol and Ross. They're still involved with the MCU, but they did not come back to do their voices, and I'm be curious as to why. I doubt it matters. I'm just curious. Our last major talking point for this lovely Friday episode is Titans episode 5. This aired yesterday on HBO Max, which was the 26th of August on Thursday. It will be airing on Thursdays from here on out. And it does air first thing in the morning at midnight or whatever time it is that it shows up. Um, It is not an HBO... Original series. It is an HBO Max series, so they don't have to wait for it to air on TV to put it online. Um, this episode was called Lazarus, and while you get excited about that, I'm going to go ahead and disappoint you. You do not actually get any of the Al Ghouls. Just covering that right now, because I really thought we were going to see Talia, and we did not. We really thought we were going to see Ryos, and I did not. So, a um, little bit disappointing in the fact that this was really really just a filler episode showing what happened to jason um which is fine that was information that we still needed and it also gives us the final plan of what scarecrow has going on um as for jason three months ago when he was robin um or rather three months ago he was robin and he was hoping for he was still that like Not giddy little child, but that hopeful child just constantly hoping for the approval of Batman, of Bruce. Um, Some things start going a little bit sideways, and he gets benched by Bruce, which he is very not happy with, and Bruce ends up making him go to therapy. Um, Things start going really well with therapy, it goes really well with Bruce in turn, and with the fact that, honestly, their relationship has simplified a bit without the whole Robin-Batman thing. Uh, They were clearly finally bonding and showing their care for one another. However, when later on down the line, Jason hears from Bruce that he does not want Jason to be Robin again. Jason, of course, assumes that this is the therapist speaking through him, that she has told Bruce about their sessions, which he understood to not be a thing, and he takes as a big... um, a big big breach of trust, which is obviously very understandable. And that's not what happened here. Bruce did not talk to the therapist, Um, but it doesn't matter. That's just the way that Jason is going to see it. Um, Turns out that Jason's therapist was a former colleague of the Scarecrow. So uh, he ends up going to the Scarecrow when he feels like this therapist failed him. Obviously, Crane uses psychology to fairly easily twist Jason's perspective and he gives Jason what's ultimately an antidote to fear. Um, We know that the scarecrow has his fear toxin, his fear gas, whatever you want to call it. Um, And so kind of reverse engineering that Jason and him really working together are able to create the proper antidote. Um, And that is why Jason ends up facing off with the Joker and getting himself killed. How Jason was brought back is the anticlimactic part. We kind of figured a Lazarus Pit would be involved. I was hoping that we would get an Al Ghul involved, but apparently not. Uh, he was just brought back by friends of Scarecrow. Uh, Scarecrow knew about the abandoned Lazarus Pit under Gotham from when Ross was there, um, and that is how Jason returns. It's pretty much exactly the way that it happened in the comics, except. It's not Talia, and it's not way out there in the Middle East. It's Gotham. <laughs> and there's some really, I gotta give credit, they get, they, just for a second, they had some really brutal shots of the damage that Joker did to Jason's face with the crowbar. Oh my word. Quite brutal. Um, and I also have to admire the depiction of the Lazarus Pit working on Jason was pretty cool too um it looked a little bit like symbiotic um like a like a venom symbiote you know from marvel um but like liquid and it was really cool i definitely enjoyed that um and so that was that's the whole that's the whole origin of red hood um so to say and now that after the last episode the two of them are united once again Scarecrow thinks that they played Dick well enough to scare him off. Jason actually is well and en- smart enough to know that uh, Dick is still gonna come for them, hardcore. Um, and Scarecrow, at the end of the episode, or I guess this was the beginning, I'm not really sure. Sometime in the episode, uh, whatever the 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 now time is where they're now together again, he says. Uh, his full plan is to immerse the good sins of Gotham in a world of fear and terror where there is no one to protect them. And when they feel all hope has been exhausted, we swoop in and be that answer to their fear. You feed a starting dog. You feed a starving dog. It's always by your side. Knowing Gotham, that will probably work. <laughs> um and that will more like more than likely lead to some problematic stuff they will be facing in the future of this show um this did not touch at all on the uh cory or the blackfire stuff or uh really anything with the other characters on this show is really just about jason Uh, so now that we have that information my main theory on what's going to happen with jason in the show no doubt he's going to end up having to fight scarecrow um my twisted messed up theory though um the Jonathan Crane um you know it's it's <laughs> it's um i don't think it would be a really far guess to think that maybe um <laughs> maybe the uh, the scarecrow people want to say the joker maybe scarecrow is going to uh do something real messed up like We know Bruce has his old mask and fear toxin. What if he gets it so that he, Jason thinks that he has an opportunity to kill the scarecrow, but it's not the scarecrow. It's like Bruce under the mask. That would be, that is the best way that I could think of to have Jason be completely broken. That would be the way to do it. Have him, unknowingly kill his father figure who he had very recently become um much closer with um that would be incredibly dark but i i totally see that as being a thing that they could do and also a thing that this jonathan crane would do um that he's doing such a great job this actor of of hitting the 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 dot on the the slimy greasy, smart somehow, unsettling, um, kind of a loser, but still scary a little bit, like he, something about him is just unsettling, <laughs> um, and they're really hitting that right on the nose, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to how they're going to do that in the show, um, and definitely looking forward to seeing more of the other characters who weren't really showcased in this um, get a little bit more throughout the season that being said though i'm wondering are we going to see raven again um i I mean she and wonder girl were both on or donna i guess they were both on the marketing for this season so are we gonna see them i know we saw donna in this episode it was it was a nightmare that jason had that donna showed up in um so are we going to see more of her now? Is she really dead? Did they Lazarus pit her? I mean, it was kind of a dumb way that they killed her off too. Wasn't it like she got hit with like a tree branch or a light pole or something? And it wasn't, it was like something that she had clearly been able to handle before, but just for whatever reason in that moment, it killed her. Um, I, yeah, Donna and Raven. I'm, I'd, I'd like to see the two of them definitely more in the season as well. Uh, and that wraps up everything that I have planned today for this week's episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Uh, it's a bit of a shorter episode, but that's okay. It happens sometimes. Um, I will be back for the next episode coming on Monday, the 30th of August. That will be our last episode for August. It's very exciting, I, I guess. Um, I will be discussing at that time the new comic book pull list for the week things that will be coming out next week on the 31st and the 1st for New Comic Book Day. Um I will also be discussing oh not the Bad Batch. I keep I keep wanting to say I'm going to be discussing the Bad Batch, but that is not true because the Bad Batch is finito for now. Um I'm sure there'll be something. <laughs> if nothing else, I have like theories and stuff that I could talk about. Um always you know there's always theories fun fan theories that's half of why we do this because theorizing is fun anyway uh thank you very much for listening to this episode for whatever amount that you were able to listen to um please please like and share and and show the podcast to other people who you think would also enjoy the podcast um, and that is the best way to support it, if, unless you want to put some money into it, and then you can go to Patreon or Ko-fi or the Redbubble store. Um, I have accounts on all of those that are able to support the, the podcast as well. With the weekend coming up, I hope you have a really nice one. And if you listen to this later on, I hope your week is excellent as well. Um, It's starting to get into the end of summer. I know it's 101 degrees where I am currently. So definitely drink your water, take it easy. Don't overdo yourself in the sun um, and don't let your overheated brain um, make you, well, frankly, embarrass yourself on the internet in front of strangers. Don't be a Karen, all right? Have a good week and stay sweaty.